Yeah, so yesterday I wasn't feeling very well. I think I had some food. I was in a very good condition, but today I'm feeling a bit better, so, so that's good. Um, so today uh, is a Palm Sunday. So I, I'm going to bring a, a little uh, sermon about something related to Palm Sunday. Um, but before we go uh, to that, yes, uh, let me encourage you to take one of these copies. It's uh, the last Global Cafe newsletter. I left some of them on one of the tables outside. So it's basically some information about the developments and how it's going in Global Cafe. As you know, we are in a transition time. So it will be great if you can take one copy with you and, and keep praying for us. Um, now, uh, Judith is, is going to read the, uh, the text for us today yeah? from Matthew chapter 3. Okay, Matthew chapter 3, first three verses. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And then in Matthew 21, verses 1 to 13. <clears throat> As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. <clears throat> it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. This is God's word. Yeah, thank you, Judith. Um, okay, I think we've got a little PowerPoint. We go, uh, we go to the next uh, one, that's the Bible test. And the, we go to the first picture, and there's one. Yeah, there, yeah. Thank you. So in 1937, King George VI of England started the arrangements to visit Canada. But it wouldn't be until two years later, in May 1939, 
when the English king eventually will visit Canada, where he was also the king. He was also the king of Canada. At last, the wait was over. After months of hard planning on both sides of the Atlantic, King George and his wife, Queen Elizabeth, visited Canada. They visit the first by a reigning sovereign to the Dominion began two days behind a schedule in Quebec City. After a nine day of uh, ocean uh, uh, voyage marked by heavy seas, fog, and icebergs, cheering crowds were expecting the king in Quebec City. They were, um, they wanted to have a glimpse of the king and the queen as they wanted from the ship's deck. The excitement was great uh, as people were expecting the king for a long time. That was the first time the king of Canada, the king of England, was visiting Canada. Finally, the culmination of weeks of planning and hoping and waiting was over, and the king walked on Canadian uh, soil. Actually, they have prepared a red carpet for him to walk there for the first time. So King George VI of England and his wife, Queen Elizabeth, enjoy a month in Canadian soil. And people welcome them with great joy in any city they want to visit. This is something quite familiar for us. I think this is something that uh, happens quite often. Usually, when a king goes to visit a place, oops, sorry. <laughs> when a king goes to visit a place, he will be welcome. And many people will come together to uh, receive the king. And in our first reading, we read about John the Baptist asking people to prepare the way for a Lord who was arriving soon. This Lord was a special king. This Lord was the king of a heavenly kingdom. And people needed to get ready to receive this king. As you know, this king was Jesus, who had been expected for hundreds of years to come to Jerusalem. In ancient times, when a king was going to visit a city, he will send before him someone to announce the king is coming. Get ready. Someone will announce he's arriving soon. The herald, the herald will go around the city, and he will go before the leaders of the city, telling them, the king is coming. He will be here any day, any moment. You need to get ready. Clean up your city. Sweep your streets. Get rid of all the garbage lying around. Fix the roads. Make, the, make them smoothly and straight. Make sure the city is fit for a king to ride through, because the king is coming soon. And today we are remembering this um, Palm Sunday, the day that the awaited King Jesus arrived to Jerusalem. Finally, after hundreds of years expecting the king, he turned up, he showed up. But why was the arrival of this king so special? Why was this visit more special than any other visit of any other king in any part of the human history? Well, let's think about it for the next minutes. Uh, if we go to the next, uh, yeah, thank you. So this, this long-expected king will arrive in a donkey. 500 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Zechariah uh, wrote in Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, on riding a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. This was written 500 years before it took place. So Jesus' decision uh, 
to enter in Jerusalem riding on a donkey wasn't casual. Jesus did it in pur on purpose. By doing that, he was making a powerful statement about his identity, about who he was. By doing that, he was proclaiming that he was the long-expected king that one day will come to visit Jerusalem riding on a donkey. Um, the truth is that Jesus was quite near to Jerusalem when he sent his disciples to look for a donkey. Actually, it would have been very easy for him just to walk to Jerusalem. And we don't find in the Gospels, in any other place, uh, Jesus riding a donkey or a horse or anything. So this is the only time we read in the Gospels that Jesus decides to ride an animal. And this is obviously it's done in purp on purpose by Jesus because he wanted to fulfill that prophecy about himself. So he has go and get that donkey for me because I am the king who is coming. A part uh, of the fulfillment of this prophecy, the election of a donkey uh, means something that has some other connotations too. Um, why the king mentioned in Zechariah 9.9 will ride a donkey into Jerusalem rather than, rather than a horse? It seems a not choice for royalty, isn't it? But it makes sense if we know that in the ancient Middle Eastern world, kings, they rode horses if they rode to war, if they rode f to fight. But donkeys, if they came in peace. And actually, we can read something like that in, in First Kings uh, chapter 1, 32-34, uh, where we see King Solomon riding a donkey um, because it was a peaceful time. And he, he decided to ride a donkey, the, a donkey of uh, his father, King David. So th this is something that when the king is saying, I'm coming in peace, I'm going, was riding a donkey. But if there is some war going on, he will ride a horse. So Jesus is saying to Jerusalem and he's saying to us, I come to you in peace. Let me in. And I, I like this idea of peace. I like thinking and learning about peace. In, in fact, uh, I have studied a master and a doctoral degree in peace studies. So you can imagine how keen I am about peace stuff. And I don't know if you're aware, but here in Bradford, we, the University of Bradford is, is the first university in the whole world. Uh, who offered a doctoral degree in peace studies in 1973. And after that, many other universities followed the example. And one main idea in peace studies field is that uh, if we have peace, we can grow, and we can develop as human beings. Uh, on the other hand, if we don't have peace, if we are surrounded by violence in our lives, uh, our potential growth as human beings is interrupted and we cannot reach our whole fulfillment. So we need to live in peace if we want to grow in order to become what we are supposed to be. And that makes sense. But then we should answer another question. We should ask uh, this question, what are we supposed to be? And outside there in the world, in the secular world, in the universities, they will give you many answers. But for us, because we are Christians, we look to the Bible to look for the answers. And the Bible says, that we were created in God's likeness so we could have fellowship with God, our creator, and at the same time that we oversee and look after this world that he has created. Nevertheless, the first humans rebel against this God, against our creator, and from that moment, the peaceful fellowship that human beings were supposed to enjoy with God was broken, and the whole world was affected by it. 
But the good news are that God never stopped loving us. Even at that point when, when our fathers, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God, God still keep loving them, and he still loves us. And from the very beginning, we can read in, in the book of uh, Genesis, uh, we can see the first promise, the first prophecy from God given to humankind about someone who is coming in the future and who will crush the head of Satan. And we read that in Genesis 3.15. He says that um, someone that will be the seed of a woman will crush the head of Satan. And I don't know if you have thought about this before, but when I realized of this, it was mind-blowing for me. Um, do you know that the only person in the whole history of, hum of humanity that was the seed of a woman was Jesus? Because uh, as you know, Jesus, he came from a virgin, from Virgin Mary. So he's the only person that is from a seed of the woman. All of us, we are from the seed of a man, from our father. But Jesus, he came from the seed of the woman. So it's clear that that's a prophecy about Jesus. He says, someone is coming in the future from the seed of a woman who will crush the head of the snake, the head of Satan. And when you start putting together all these prophecies from the Old Testament, and you see how they are fulfilling Jesus. You see that everything fits. You see, you see that everything makes sense. Jesus, he is the long-expected king who will bring peace to human hearts by opening the door to restore our broken fellowship with our creator. No one else can do that. Only Jesus. He is the promised Messiah or the promised Christ, which means he is the highest priest, he is the greatest prophet, he is the king of kings, he is our God. We go to the next slide, please. Um, but I think this is something interesting for us to know, is that uh, when you study the prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus, the, there are two lines of prophecy about the Messiah. Um, one line is talking about a suffering servant, a humble king, and another line of prophecy is talking about the judge, uh, the judge of the world, the king of kings. So here, when Jesus arrives to Jerusalem the first time, this is fulfilling that line of prophecy, the uh, humble king that is coming to suffer on our behalf. Um, we can read in Isaiah uh, 53, who, who will be pierced for our transgressions, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Again, it's amazing to think that this was written 700 years before Jesus, that someone will come in the future. He will be, he will be pierced for our transgressions. So the first time Jesus came to Jerusalem, he was fulfilling this line of prophecy about the Messiah, about himself. And, and the second time, uh, the second line of prophecy will be fulfilled in the future when he comes back to take the church with him. Um, and we, we could read in Psalm 110, for example, that was written 1,000 years before Jesus, uh, that... Um, he will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the, the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. So here we have the two lines of prophecy. I, I think this is, is important for us to know because sometimes people can get confused. And I think the people in Jerusalem, they were confused. So they welcomed Jesus saying, Hosanna to David, uh, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna to the king. But the problem for them is that they thought at that point Jesus was coming to crush the Roman Empire. 
they thought they, they, they had in mind the second line of prophecy about the Messiah. They thought that Jesus will set them free from the Romans at that point. But actually, that wasn't the purpose of Jesus at that point. At that point, Jesus was coming to set us free from our sin. And the people in Jerusalem, they really welcomed him. They were really pleased. They welcomed him as a king. But the same people, five days later, they were shouting, crucify him. When they realized that this king wasn't coming to crush the Roman Empire, they were crying, crucify him. They were shouting, crucify him. This, uh, um, so that first Palm Sunday, yeah, the people welcomed this, this king, welcomed Jesus, because they thought he, he would deliver them from the oppression of the Romans. But they were wrong. They had f false expectations about him at that point. Um, we can... Uh, I go to the, we go to the next slide. Okay. So they, they, they were shouting this, uh, Hosanna to the son of David. We, the, the, actually, this is a prophecy, again, that we read in the, in the Old Testament, in 2 Samuel. So when the people in Jerusalem were saying, Hosanna to the king of David, they were acknowledging that Jesus was king. And we can read from 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 14. These are words of God through the prophet Nathan to David. God was telling to David, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. So God is saying, I'm sending someone. He's going to be the king. He's going to build my house. He's going to he will call me father, and he, he will be my son. Obviously, again, it's pointing to Jesus. And, and the people in Jerusalem, they were aware of this when they were saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were referring to that prophecy. But, um, but as uh, I was saying, they had the, uh, grown expectations about Jesus. They were thinking about the second line of prophecy about the Messiah. What, what are your expectations about Jesus? That's, what I would like to ask you this morning. What, what are your attitudes uh, towards him? Do you consider Jesus only a good man, a religious figure but nothing else? Or do you realize that he is the king of kings who is coming to judge the world again in the future? Because your attitude toward Jesus will determine your eternity. Because salvation is found in no one else, the Bible says. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved, as we can read in Acts 4 and verse 12. And I would like to say that um, many Europeans, and I include the UK, uh, the UK uh, to, <laughs> with the Europeans, have grown expectations and attitudes to, uh, toward Jesus. And I think the reason, I think they, th they think they know everything they need to know about Jesus. Many people think, I know about Jesus. I don't know uh, if you have tried sometime to talk to someone about your faith, about Jesus, and that person says, I know already about Jesus. I grew up here, uh, and I listen many stories about him, and, but, but I, I, know, I, I know things about him, but actually they don't know him personally. And, and I think there is a story in the Bible that points to something similar about having grown expectations about Jesus. Um, 
we read another account in Mark 6, Mark chapter 6, when Jesus went to his hometown in Nazareth. And, yeah, we, we can read it together. So it's Mark 6, uh, 1 to 5. Uh, here we can see, again, people having the grown expectations about Jesus. Yeah? Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has uh, been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Is not this the carpenter? And he couldn't uh, do any miracles there. So the people of Nazareth, of uh, the hometown of Jesus, um, they only saw Jesus the carpenter. They couldn't see further. Of the, because they have uh, knew about Jesus when he was a carpenter. And they couldn't see more than that. So the, the Bible says that he couldn't uh, do any miracle there. They also had the grown expectations toward Jesus, like the people in Jerusalem. So this morning, the question is, what are your expectations about Jesus? What are your attitudes toward him, towards him? Have you welcomed him in your life as the humble king who wants to save you from your sins? As, as I said before, everything fits. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promised Messiah who will bring us back to God through his death. And you can see in the Old Testament uh, many, many, many prophecies. Even uh, Jesus, when he talked to these uh, two disciples in, the, in Emmaus, in the way to, uh, he said that he explained the whole Old Testament, the whole Bible, and he explained how all the prophecies from the Old Testament were pointing to him. And you can have, uh, you can study by yourself, but another prophecy, again, that is mind-blowing among the many prophecies that we find in the Old Testament point, pointing to Jesus. We can read in Psalm 22, verse 16, that Jesus' hands and Jesus' feet will be pierced, showing a clear picture of the crucifixion. Again, that psalm was written 1,000 years before Jesus by King David, who, inspired by God, prophesied about something that was unknown at that time of history. And no one in the ancient world will use crucifixion to kill people. And it wasn't until 500 years before Jesus that crucifixion uh, was used for the first time. And according to the Encyclopedia Britannica, the first historical record of crucifixion was in 519 before Christ when Darius I, king of Persia, crucified 3,000 political opponents in Babylon. So this is amazing that when the crucifixion didn't even exist in human history, King David, inspired by God, brought about someone that was coming in the future whose hands and feet will be pierced for us. And it's amazing because you see that the Bible is a book inspired by God. You, you see that God is the only one that knows the future. So he's the only one that can bring, can bring this uh, kind of uh, uh, prophecies about the future. So even before crucifixion was used by men to kill other men, God knew that the Messiah will die on a cross. The Bible is the word of God, and everything in the Bible points to Jesus. Everything fits. Everything is being fulfilled step by step. 
And when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. God has done everything he could do to reconcile us with him. But now it's up to us to accept this gift of forgiveness and reconciliation that there is available through the blood of Jesus, the humble king. So just concluding, uh, Jesus is still approaching people today as he did that first Palm Sunday. He comes to our lives as a humble and gentle king. He approaches us with a still small voice. He stands at the door uh, of our hearts and he knocks as we read in Revelation. Have you led this Jesus inside your, inside your heart already or not yet? If you haven't done it yet, let me encourage you to do it. It's better to welcome Jesus in our lives as a humble king than receiving him when he comes back again in the future, riding a, a war horse to judge the world. Because the Bible says that at some point, every knee will bow down and will confess that Jesus is God. But actually, we can do it now, uh, freely, uh, accepting the grace of God, or we'll do it in the future when, uh, when Jesus appears. Uh, but then it may be too late. Um, so, you know what? Uh, I haven't met anyone yet who regrets of having led Jesus into his life. And that, that's something amazing. Any Christian person that I have met, you, you, you won't find any Christian that will say, I regret to know Jesus because Jesus is a great, humble king. It is worth it to try. You can read in the Bible too in Psalm 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste Jesus. Try Jesus. He's not going to disappoint you. And this week, uh, as we come to this holy week now, uh, coming towards the uh, uh, Easter week, I think it can be a good time to, to refresh our relationship with this humble king again and spend time with him and... Um, remembering that he went to the cross, his hands and his feet were pierced for our transgressions, and we have been bought by the blood of Jesus to, to be reconciled with God again, to have peace again, the real peace, the peace that goes beyond all human understanding. Because even in the middle of troubles, if you know Jesus, you can have peace inside of your heart. So that's what I wanted to share with you this morning. So let's, let's uh, close in prayer now. Yeah. Yes, thank you, Father. Thank you for sending Jesus as a humble king. Thank you because he came as a lamb to die on the cross for our sins. And thank you because he's coming in the future as a lion to judge the world again. But thanks because we have the privilege to know you already. And we know you are preparing a place for us, your father's house, and we'll be with you forever and ever because you are the everlasting king. I pray that this week, you will approach us and you will show up uh, in, a, in a powerful way that will be refreshed by you, will feel your peace, and that we will have the opportunity to share about how marvelous you are with friends and family during this week. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.